us today? I think the chronologies, we've been coming about a year, but then we went through the core, the class, and then we couldn't be here for voting, and so it took longer than it exactly. should have for us to get here. So I'm Phil Connor. I'm joined today by my wife, Dee, who's here with me every week. Next to her is my son, Daniel, visiting from Nebraska. And next to him are Ham and Penny, my across-the-street neighbors. So uh, they're all sitting there together, and I'm thrilled for them to be here. Uh, Lucas asked me to give a, just a brief introduction of myself. You read about me in the business meeting for when we joined the church, but just to go over that again. First off, I am a believer. I know the Lord Jesus. Met him as my Savior when I was a 16-year-old kid down in Florida, uh, down in West Palm Beach area. And uh, then we went, in, uh, went into min, uh, seminary. Uh, after seminary, I met my wife, Dee, on a singles retreat to the Keys, Key Largo. So there's a little dock down there where we, we met. Uh, I, I went with a friend's church uh, to, on the singles retreat. Uh, Dee and I then went through seminary. Again, I got another degree from, uh, from Southern, and we wound up pastoring in Fairbanks, Alaska, where my son was born, then back to Boynton Beach, Florida, where my daughter was born. And while we were in that process, we believed that the Lord was calling me into a military chaplain ministry. So I entered uh, military chaplaincy, 86, full-time in 87. And so since 1986-87, your church... Uh, this church has been contributing to my ministry through the North American Mission Board. So you've been my supporters for a long time, and I appreciate that. And then after 22 years in the Army, uh, I retired from the Army and took a position at, back then, Golden Gate Baptist Seminary, one of the seminaries that we support. That changed names later on. Now it's in Southern California, Gateway Seminary, and I retired from there in 2000, let me guess now, 2020. And uh, we returned back here to Florida, where I'm from and where uh, I met Dee and where we want to have the rest of our lives together. And so uh, that's kind of a summary. Is that enough you think there, Jeff? Okay. So, so your church, this church has contributed to our ministry through the military and then through the seminary. So on behalf of all those years of your support, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to read... Uh, beginning in Luke 11 and then over 12, uh, not Luke, Genesis 11 and then over into Genesis 12, four verses. So Genesis 11:27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, a son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This is the Lord's word. He'll bless us as we read and obey it. Uh, so this is kind of my first impression to the church. First time I've spoken here, so this is the first impression. Uh, you know, the saying is you only have one chance to make a first impression. And this, I'm not convinced, is God's first impression with Abram. It's the first recorded impression of Abram, uh, with God to Abram. So we're going to take it for that. I think if you go back through chapter 11, that through that the verses there, we see that Abram has had a, uh, is descended from uh, Noah, and I believe was aware of who God was all along. But this is a time when God interacts, engages with Abram in a significant and personal way. And so uh, first thing I'd like you to, to uh, see is that uh, God presents himself as Yahweh. In your Bible, when the word Lord appears in all capital letters, big caps, and uh, for L and then little caps for O-R-D, Lord, when it appears that way, that's the covenant name of God. The best we can come up with pronouncing that is that's Yahweh. Now, we get that through the Hebrew scriptures, and for some reason, somewhere along the line, the Jews decided that the word, the name of God was so precious, so holy, we need to reverence it so much that they quit saying it. And they started substituting uh, the word Lord instead of his name, Yahweh. So today we kind of think of God's name as being God, and his name is really Yahweh. And God presents himself this time in a very personal way to Abram. I am Yahweh, and these are the things that I want to do with you. So our first idea here that I want to con uh, convey to you today is that God is a person and he uses his covenant name with Abram. So kind of his proper name. He's bearing, he is being both formal and familiar with Abram. I am speaking to you, Yahweh is speaking to you, and I have promises for you. So I want you to pay attention to the fact that very early in scripture we discover that God is personal. Now, world religions don't understand that. Many world religions pre present an idea of God, and you'll hear this too often in your uh, communication with others. They present God as an impersonal force. Oh, I believe in God. He's out there, but he's not engaged with me. He's not personal. If you ever watch Star Wars, who's my Star Wars people who've watched that? I, I've seen it. Uh, the Force, Right? The force be with you. And the force has a good side and a bad side, kind of a yin and a yang. And so this idea that there's this some kind of spiritual being, but he's really not personal. You can't engage with him and he can't engage with you. And that's a very popular idea. A lot of people will say that they believe in God, but they believe in this non-personal, this non-engaging idea of what God might be. And so I want you to know that the revelation that we have of God is profoundly more meaningful than that. He's a personal God with a personal name, and he meets with us and calls us by name. Meets with Abraham and calls him by name. Now, if you go through the development of uh, or the other religions of the world, the other major religion we're going to mention here, uh, back up, of other religions, there are those that have gods who are personal, Hindus have gods who are all personal. They're, they've got names, they're individuals. I worked with a Hindu one time, and I, I said, uh, Modi, 
just how many gods do you have? Or how many gods are there? And his answer was, oh, who can know? So many gods that you couldn't even know who they are. So polytheism, they're personal, but they're little. They're, they're not a supreme being. Then there's another idea about many gods, where there's many gods, but one supreme senior god. That's what we find in the Greeks and the Romans with, with Zeus and uh, with Jupiter. And so they've got this pantheon of gods with a god who's superior. Then along comes Judaism, Christianity, we proclaim a God who is personal, engaged with us. And then in church history or world history, Islam comes along. And Islam says, yes, God's personal. But notice that in Islam, God is neither loving nor merciful. He's, they claim righteous, but he's never inclined to our salvation. According to Islam, Personal God is, is the judging God, and you have to merit your salvation through doing good enough works to balance out your good works and your bad works. And notice that that's not what God is like at all in this passage. He comes to Abraham, and to Abram, his name hasn't changed to Abraham yet, same character, different use of his name. God comes to him, and in a personal way, he engages him and says, I have good things promised for you. And the good news of the Bible is that God is a person. He possesses all the attributes of personhood. One of the attributes of personhood is self-awareness. God knows who he is. In the beginning in the creation narrative, he says, God says, let us make man in our image. God understands who he is and his relationship with us. In that, he communicated uh, directly with us. And he reveals himself through his, uh, through his covenant name and through his addresses. He's aware, along with being aware of himself, God's aware of others. He communicates with direct address through, to Abraham and to a lot of others, through Adam and Noah and Abram and later other prophets, Joshua and the other prophets. In the New Testament, Jesus appears and he communicates with us directly. He communicates, well, go back up. God reveals himself through the creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare God's glory. Romans 1.20 supports that and revisits that, that God reveals himself throughout creation, and no man is without excuse because of his revelation. Jesus, in his appear, resurrection appearances, says, uh, reveals himself by person and two persons. Saul on the road to Damascus is addressed, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God communicates to his people. He communicates to us then through creation, and he communicates to us through human conscience. Romans 2.15 says that, the, that they show the creation. They show that the work of the law is written in our hearts. Their consciences confirm this. So that God is created in multiple ways that he communicates with us. He communicates through nature. He communicates with us through our conscience. He communicates with some of us through direct revelation like Abram and others. And then lastly, he speaks to us through his written word, the Bible. We hold that the scripture was inspired by God, that God moved, the scripture says, breathed and moved the writers of scripture to pen the very words of God for us. That The scriptures we mentioned earlier is, is infallible and it, it, it uh, complete that God communicates to us through his word. And the great thing is, the spirit 
that inspired the writers of Scripture to write indwells believers who read Scripture. So I don't come to the Bible by myself. I come to the Bible with God writing, the writing, the God who inspired the writing. I come to him, and he leads me to my reading of the word. The same God, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the Scripture indwells the believer and helps us interpret Scripture. So God is personal, and he communicates to us. He communicates to us through a variety of means. And the witness of Scripture is that God continues to engage us as persons. We see that in Jesus, that God came to us and the Trinity. He came as a person. John tells us he, he dwelt among us. He's so personal that in 1 John, the apostle wrote, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands, that this revelation of God to us was so immediate and so personal. John said, I remember, I saw him with my eyes. I touched him. I heard him. And now God continues to do that. Revelation 3.20 recounts that Jesus says, I see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The great news about the beginning of the revelation of God through this covenant process with Abram and the rest of Scripture is that God is personal. He's a God that I can know individually and so can you. He reveals himself as a person who is, kind, can, who is inclined to us and to our salvation. So that's first, uh, verse 1, uh, 12, the first portion of the verse. Now we'll move on to the second portion of that verse. Uh, the Lord had said to Abram, he's personal. And now we discover that that personal, almighty creator God is also very precise. He says to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth, will be blessed through you. Everybody throughout human history will be blessed through Abraham. Through Abram, He spoke precisely to him. He gave him direct uh, guidance. This wasn't just a general call out there like we see through nature, but God engaged specifically and precisely Abraham. He called to him. He called him by his name. God called to Abraham and as he had, to, uh, as he had in the past, no, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Adam, Noah, and following. Then to Abraham, he addresses him, Isaac, Jacob. Then again, Moses, uh, Joshua, Isaiah, and others. God speaks directly, and God is precise in his address. He's also precise in how he addresses Abram and what he tells him to do. He noticed that God knows where he is and where he's going. I read the passage, the uh, chapter 11 passage, because it says that that Abram's father began his way to Canaan, but he gave up the mission. He quit going, and they stayed in Haran. So God reaches out to Abram in Haran and says, go to a land that I'll show you. And so God is very precise. He says to Abram, leave your land, leave your relatives, leave your father's house. That God knows all those things about him, and his call to him is precise. And then God will show Abram the land that he will inhabit. That's Canaan. Abram didn't know that land. He'd never been there. 
But God, but Abram knew God, and therefore God knew where he was going. Abram, I don't know where you're taking me, Lord, but I know you, and I trust you to take me to that place. Question for that one is, do we ever, do you ever run ahead of God, not waiting for him to guide you, not waiting for his direction in your life? Consult him, depend on him for his guidance in your life. And the good news about this, of God's provision, is that this remains the work of God. Abraham, in Hebrews, it tells us that he was looking forward to a city that has its foundation, whose designer and builder is God. That's the new kingdom, that Abram in Haran and then in the Canaan was still looking for a, a, a city beyond the human city, one that God would create. God is also precise in his call in Acts chapter 9, his call to Saul. Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? And he's precise in, he gives him a name and an address. Go to Ananias on a street called Straight. That's how well God knows Saul and where he wants him to go. The following chapter, chapter 10, God speaks, Jesus speaks through the vision of Cornelius, two men, Cornelius and Peter. He knows both of them. He knows where they are. And he sends Cornelius on the mission. Go to, a new, uh, to another town. Go to Joppa. Not just go to the town, but go to a specific place, a house by the sea. And not just a specific house, but a specific person in that house. A tanner, that's his job, named Simon. And there'll be another Simon there who's also called Peter. That God knows every minor, tiny detail of who these men are. He knows their names, he knows their places, he knows their circumstances. Luke chapter 2, Jesus says in John, I'm going to prepare a place for you. The place that Abram anticipated that God was creating. So the work of God is continue to provide and know a place for us and where we're going. And in Luke chapter 2, God knows with precision, the Bible says, the hairs on your head. God is precise. He knows everything about you. He knows you by name. He knows your address. He knows where you live. He knows what your experiences are, what you're going through. He knows what you need. And your first need, your primary need in life, is salvation. And God provides for your salvation, beginning in the Old Testament, this passage specifically, and then throughout the Old and into the New Testament, that God knows your first need is salvation and new faith in Christ. And then for you to be a faithful and obedient disciple. Follow Jesus. He is leading you. God is personal. He knows us by name. He is precise. He, he engages us by, uh, personally. He guides us precisely the exact details of our lives. And then the third point I want you to find out from this passage, that along with being personal, with being precise, God is also purposeful. He has a plan. God's plan for Abraham is complex. It involves, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. Back up before that, leave your country, leave your people, go to the place that I will show you, and then I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's purpose for Abram is complex. A great nation, he'll be blessed. That means that God will enrich his, his life. He will give him a great name, and imagine a guy who is 
in a little town in Haran in the Middle East, later becomes the fountainhead of Christianity, of Judaism, that his name is known around the world because God said, I'll give you a great name. Also, he says that those that bless you, I will bless. And those that curse you, I will curse. I will protect you and keep you and all those around you. God says, I am protecting and keeping you. Then the great promise, all peoples of earth will be blessed through Abram. Uh, J.P. read us the passage from Galatians 3 that re, uh, restates the same thing. It cites the same promise. That promise of the world being blessed through Abram is fulfilled only and particularly in Christ. The Jewish nation's purpose wasn't just to worship God. The Jewish nation's purpose was, A, worship God, and B, be a light to the nations, to be a light to the Gentiles. And Christ comes through, that, through Israel and becomes God's promise, his light to us, and we are blessed through him that every place and every nation where God, where Jesus is worshipped, God's name is proclaimed through salvation through Jesus. That's the promise and the fulfillment around it. That's why we as a people, as a church, are missionary people. We send missionaries to places where the gospel isn't known, where it's not proclaimed, where it hasn't taken root. And so God is purposeful with Abram, saying, I'll bless all the world through you. And this purpose that God had for Abram becomes our purpose. First off, Jesus said that's his purpose, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came with a sole purpose of being our Savior, to give his life. He knew about the cross. He knew about the death. He knew about the crucifixion in the grave. And he knew about the resurrection. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. John 10, 10, the second half of that verse, Jesus said, A thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it abundance. So the blessing that Abraham would be to all the nations is fulfilled in Christ, offering us, providing for us, new life in him through faith in our crucified and resurrected Lord and forgiveness of sins. So this morning as we look at this passage in Genesis, I want you to remember these things about God. God's personal. He is, he, you can engage him. You can talk to him. Personally, I like to use the name Yahweh in my prayer time. Address him by his name. He is Lord, yes, he is God, absolutely. But he's a person. He knows me as Phil. He knows you by your name. And so we know him personally. It's an intimate and personal relationship. God is precise in us. He knows with us. He knows what my specific needs are. He knows my need of salvation. He knows all my needs after that. That I can depend on him for him being attentive to every need that I have. That I can know him in that particular way. And then lastly, God's purposeful. God has a purpose for us. The good news is that salvation isn't simply our purpose. When we're saved, we're done and complete. That every one of us, the scripture teaches, we're all, this is, the church is a nation of priests. That we're all to be on mission for God. And so salvation comes to you, and then discipleship follows. God's purpose for you is for you to know him 
live with him, and follow him in ministry. And so God calls us through these things today. First off, I'd like to ask you, do you have that kind of relationship with God? Abraham called, or God called Abram's name, and he responded. God's calling our names. He called my name. He addressed me in my heart to come to know him. Are you in that place with God? Is it personal? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Is it a precise relationship with him? Is it purposeful in your relationship with him? Are you fully engaged with Christ today? And this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And after the Lord's Supper, we're going to have another hymn and then a dismissal. During this time, I want you to consider those things. If something about your life isn't right with Christ, you don't know him, that'd be a perfect time for you to come forward. There'll be somebody waiting to talk to you about how to know Christ as your Savior. If you're a believer, you know the Lord, but you know you haven't been living close to him. Today's the day to say, Lord, I want to follow you precisely. I want to be close to you. I want to have a purpose in my life. And you can come forward and talk to someone during that time too. And so as we conclude today, I want to pray for us and for you as we hear God's truth in our lives. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, I come to you now in Jesus' name and thank you, Lord, that you know Abraham. You planned for him. You encountered him. You gave a challenge to him, a command to him, a blessing to him. And that blessing to him has come down to us, and we know it through Jesus. So God, today through your Holy Spirit, guide our hearts and our minds to think on you. Lord, that A, that every one of us who is a believer will be thankful for that and engage our work in you. We'll be faithful disciples. And God, for anyone here today that doesn't know you, that's wondering what does it mean to know Jesus, to be blessed by him, to know him, Lord, guide them to talk uh, to someone this morning and that they'll have their answers, uh, their questions answered, and they'll come to know you as their Savior. God, please bless us now as we continue with our service. In Jesus' name, amen.